Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome into Friday, Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, hope you're doing all right. Ready to get into the weekend. We are busy today. We'll spend some time with Parker Gabriel, Lincoln Journal stars, hit some uh, Husker football thoughts and recruiting. And uh, in hour two, Bill Dolman, Pride of Fairbury, going to be with us. Jay Moore will check in. And then the time Barry Switzer went to the Kentucky Derby. Story time with Coach Switzer. That is coming up at 540. You're welcome to join us. Open phones here the next 20 minutes or so. 466-377-866-3776-800-825-5865. Find us on Twitter. Give us a follow. Chris Schmidt at Schmidt underscore radio or Elijah Herbal at Herbal Essence. And uh, give us an email. Chris at HaleVarsity.com. So, as we kind of inch closer to that mandatory workout window for a lot of college football programs, more and more programs are are dialing back the voluntary part because of positive COVID testing. This story out a little bit earlier before we get into Bill Bender's latest posting on the top 25 college football programs the last 10 years. We spoke with Bill yesterday. It was great to have him on. And Nebraska does not make the cut. We will dive into that a little bit deeper. But how does it grab you here that Nebraska is choosing not to say anything publicly about the COVID-19 testing results? You have Nebraska officials say only that they're required to report any positive COVID test to Lincoln-Lancaster County Health Department, which says it can't release any information about what the uh, university has reported because of privacy requirements. So does that, listen, you see what's been brought out at Clemson. You see what's going on at LSU, Boise, Kansas State. There's going to be positive infections. Would you like to know? As a Nebraska fan, not necessarily the who, but just, the number and if nebraska is going to handle it that way that's kind of their prerogative their business Uh, i really honestly applaud what i'm seeing out and about locally and the thought that is if you want college football season you'll wear a mask if you're not a mask wearer i'm not going to degrade you it's okay but i don't know um i guess i don't fear a, a a rampant spike at Nebraska per se because we're not going to know, I guess, right? I mean, Nebraska could be very similar to, to, to Kansas State. Nebraska could be similar to, 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 to what Boise is going through. Nebraska could also be similar to some of the programs like Iowa State, where there's a handful of kids that have tested positive, but overall, when they look at the athletic department, most people are fine right now. I mean, Lincoln itself hasn't been a hotbed for COVID by any means. No. No. And Why is that? People are masking up. People are socially distancing. I think people are being respectful. And when we get back into Nebraska releasing the numbers, 
as a fan, do I want to know? Yeah, but I don't think I have the right to know. I don't think it's it's. Mm-hmm. As, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I'm no more than that. It's uh, it, it is invading invading upon people's privacy mm-hmm. whenever you're getting oh. I mean, you look what's going to happen on social media. People are going to say, oh, why are these kids out partying and doing irresponsible things and catching COVID? Where it, it might not even be their fault if they catch COVID. So I don't think that we should have the right to even know. Um, but I, I do think we should know if it becomes a problem. It, yeah, if there's a major spike in a conglomeration of positive cases down on, down on campus, I need to know, man. Yeah. Not that I'm down there a lot, but hopefully in the near future we're we're able to uh, to cover things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Nebraska's policy here. Upon arrival, yet all athletes were tested and put in a minimum 48-hour quarantine. Uh, and they're making student-athletes comfortable. I'm for that. If these kids are coming back to do the, the voluntary side of things, and they're here to work out and, and kind of try and prepare for a season, right, that we hope happens, uh, I'm okay with them and their privacy. I'm not I'm not really hung up on it. I guess it's – I don't think and look at Nebraska as hiding anything. That's not how I'm looking at it. I think that they're in great communication with UNMC, and if this is how they want to go about it, this is how they're going to go about it. I, yeah, again, I, just like you said, I don't think it's hiding. It's It's more protecting. And if it becomes a problem, then I fully expect to know, as I said just now. But, I mean, you don't want to be that negative news story. Clemson became that negative news story pretty quickly when you hear, oh, man, these 20-plus guys have tested positive for COVID. Well, it's, it's 28 members of the athletic department as as a whole. The initial report, which was unconfirmed, I think, was mm-hmm. that 23 football players had it, which I think is still unconfirmed at this point. Clemson well, never announced. But still, it, it that quickly became a negative news story. Oh, and at LSU, I mean, 30 guys on the team, that's reported mm-hmm. because dudes went out to the bars. Now, it could be one guy, it could be five players, it could be staff members, who knows? Yeah, and that, that's my problem with, I don't think you want to announce everybody, because it could be, maybe you do have one bad apple who has gone and spread it to 25 people, 30 people. Well, it's not like it's, it's an intentional spread. Yeah, it, it's not indicative of the program, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's indicative of what the the athletic staff is doing down there, so why do you want to... What's the point, I guess, of releasing those five people, ten people who caught it, whenever it's only going to reflect poorly upon the university? And it's, I shouldn't say unpreventable, but it's something that just is happening. This is the world, the country we're living in right now. It, it could happen. Um, a spike could happen in Lincoln, but I'm, I'm kind of monitoring what, what are the numbers looking like in Lincoln and Lancaster County. Are guys out and about? Are they being safe if they're out and about? We'll talk to Parker about this because he quote tweeted something that kind of blew me away yesterday, and that's the fact that there's been no testing by South Dakota State. Wow. They're on the schedule. And if we all play, what are we, what are we going to bring to Lincoln when you visit? Mm-hmm. And it comes down to financial and state mandates with South Dakota State. Let's get into uh, sporting news and ranking the top 25 programs the last 10 years. Your usual suspects are on here, right? Nebraska does not make the cut. A couple of questions I have, and here's how Bill went about tallying the the rankings. You get a 10 points for national championships, 5 points for a national title game appearance. And when it comes to Playoff appearances, did you make a Final Four? That's worth five points. Did you get to a New Year's Day 6 BCS? That's three points. Did you have a Heisman winner? That's two points. Your top three, say it with me, Bama, 
Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma in at four. LSU, a phenomenal year. Jumps him to five. Florida State is in at six, and they were really good for the majority of the Jimbo years. Oregon, despite some coaching change, they were phenomenal with Coach Kelly. Helfrich had a couple of nice seasons. And then Cristobal was was dynamite. Wisconsin's the second-best Big Ten team in at eight. Wisconsin's been pretty dominant. I mean, they are gold for 10 wins, <laughs> 10, 10, 11 wins a year and in a, in a way to, to win the West. Hey, Wisconsin coming in at eight is surprising when you look at the team below them, but you got to think Wisconsin does win 10 games a year. It's consistency thing. Georgia comes in at nine right after them, and Georgia's had a, a phenomenal last five years, but Wisconsin's just been solid for 10. I'll say this, and I look at Georgia, right, and, and Wisconsin, Wisconsin's done what Georgia hasn't. I should say Wisconsin's not done what, what Georgia has. Georgia's gotten to a championship game. Mm-hmm. Georgia's gotten to a college football playoff. Georgia's put a bunch of dudes in the NFL that are carrying the football. Yeah. And offensive line and skill guys. But Wisconsin's gone to a Rose Bowl, all right, or they've gone to a New Year's Day six. They are they are on that verge, aren't they, of, of getting to a playoff. They've been good enough for a playoff. They were a damn fine playoff team last year until they lost at Illinois. I would have not been shocked to see them get in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the game against the Rose Bowl, they had it, and then they – fumbled it away against Oregon. I mean, they lost by a point to, to Oregon last year in the Rose Bowl. I think Wisconsin ended up with four or five losses. Lost to Ohio State twice, okay? What stands out about Wisconsin, I mean, last year and the past 10 years altogether, is they're never a team that you want to have on the schedule. No. Never a team you want to have on the schedule. I think that's what should put them in the top 10. Is, and, and, they've, yeah. and they've gotten better at not only Barry scheduled some good non-conference games, but they've won some of those games. Playing well and beating LSU at Lambeau was kind of a nice jump. They've played Alabama, okay, and they've won some of their bowl games against the SEC. They've turned that corner against SEC competition when they faced them. They're at least competitive, and they're they're not going to get beat by the, the token 14 to 17 points. They've won some of those games. So Wisconsin comes in over Georgia, uh, a little more flash. I'll say this, Georgia's probably underachieved. I mean, the fact they've had one national championship since 1980 is ridiculous. And they always would stumble against Florida or they'll get beat by Tennessee and then they'll end up in a Gator Bowl versus a New Year's Day six. They've been better at going to the Sugar Bowl type games or the Fiesta Bowls, okay, or the Orange Bowls, that New Year's Day six rotation the last several years since uh, Kirby's been down there. But under Richt... I mean, they were they were always trying to be better, but they were they were your token nine and three loaded NFL talent squad and you scratch your head about three or four losses on the season. I mean in in like pound for pound, like I remember the Nebraska game where Nebraska beat them. Down in the Gator Bowl. Down in the Gator Bowl, right? And Nebraska had some dudes. They had a they had a really good squad that year. But it was still okay, kind of a, a consolation appearance compared to what your aspirations were. That year, Nebraska was was poised to kind of break through. They didn't end up getting to a, a Big Ten championship game. Same with Georgia. So your second or or you know third place team in the league ends up down in the Gator Bowl, and you know Nebraska beat a team with with Nick Chubb on it, <laughs> and 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 found a way. But 
Georgia's good enough to be in a, a ten and two type year every year, but they don't they don't make it happen. Uh, Auburn just rounds out your top ten. There's been more feast than famine at Auburn. They only had the one really bad step back year with Chiswick. There's been a couple of eight and fours from Alzon. But what's funny is the year that Central Florida beat Auburn, really good Auburn team, really awesome Central Florida team. So Auburn finishes that year, I think, eight and four. But, but Auburn still beat Georgia and Alabama in the same year. So that's the, the caliber of, of that, that Auburn program. They'll, they'll get a couple big wins a year, but they'll have a tough schedule. Stanford in at 11. There were some really great years with Harbaugh at Stanford. There were some really good years with David Shaw. Up until pretty much Christian McCaffrey moved on. Right, right. I mean, we're talking, what, three years ago mm-hmm. with Mac. So Stanford's trying to rekindle it. You know, Brian Kelly had one 4-8 and eight season as Notre Dame comes in at number, number 12 and Florida in at 13. Uh, Sparty had a great 2010 to 2016 then they've kind of fallen off. Boise's in at 15, Okie State at 16, Michigan in at, at 17, and Michigan's 38 and 26 over the last five years. He's 47 and 18, and, and he's pushed that program up. They just can't beat Ohio State. I'm going to switch it to Nebraska here. Where do you think Nebraska comes in? Let's zoom out. They don't make the top 25. Where does Nebraska come in? Where would you where would you rank Nebraska in the decade? Well, on this list, I see Texas at twenty five, mm-hmm. and within the past decade, Texas has been above Nebraska. It's yeah, pretty. I mean, it's not they've they've, they've not had a bowl drought. Okay, uh, it's not incontestable, but it's pretty clear. I think that Texas is above Nebraska. So Texas at twenty five. Uh, oh, would you put know. Nebraska thirties? I'd probably go the 35 to 45 range. That's fair. And if you look at 2010 to 2014, that five-year span, Nebraska was 47 and 20. They were finishing routinely in the top 25, or they were just on the outside looking in with either a 10 and 4 or a 9 and 4 season. But once 2015 hit, you go six. Nebraska's had one winning season in the last five years. Six and seven, nine and four, four and eight, four and eight, five and seven. That absolutely sinks you. Miami sneaks in just in at twenty four, I think. Yeah, and the, what? What? And it comes down to their draft picks. I was going to say is that they've had a lot of first round draft picks within the past ten years. That's cri- that's criminal to have. I look at Georgia and I look at Miami and I look at USC more so Georgia and Miami with all the dudes going to the league and you can't win with them. I don't get that. I don't get how you don't win with that talent. And that's my my small gripe with this list is that there is, I mean, yeah, NFL draft talent is important, but there's guys that don't succeed in college that just have the measurables that are going to go on to the draft. Gonna, well, or or that's what's more important yeah. to them is to go play pro ball. So teams that were candidates to be in the top 25, as I see it, that didn't make it. The others receiving votes. The others <laughs> receiving votes here. TCU has had a pretty decent decade under under Gary Patterson. Nebraska, I just laid out their case. Uh, but, I mean, 28 and 33 over the last five years is, is sub-500. UCLA with, uh, with Jim Mora was, was pretty good for a stretch. Tennessee, they've been all over the map. They're trying to climb back. Uh, uh, and then you have South Carolina. I hate to say it, but Iowa. 
I have Iowa. I have Iowa and Minnesota. Iowa's had. Probably, I, have a, I have Iowa and Minnesota. I mean, Iowa's probably had the best decade in their existence. Mm, they were pretty good in the mid '80s. It's arguable, but you know what I'm saying. And it's, they were pretty good in the the mid two like 2003 to five ish. I, I think Iowa's been better than Texas in this past decade. I, Texas I agree with you. 25. And when Jerry Kill got to Minnesota, they were good. They were good. Parker Gabriel's coming up. Hope your Friday is going well. Hail Varsity continues. Presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And we're back. Fellas, you think we could listen to the radio? On Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Back with you on a Friday, Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Our conversation with Barry Switzer a little little bit more than an hour from now. We say hi to Parker Gabriel, Lincoln Journal star at Husker Extra PG. Parker, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We're doing okay. Uh, level of wow factor for you when you read and found out that South Dakota State has not been testing for the coronavirus. Yeah, you know, um, there, there, it definitely, I think it just sort of puts things into perspective, right, about the all of the complexities. I can't say that I was shocked. I mean, I was surprised. Mm-hmm. But I think that... You know, we, we've talked for a long time about the um, financial disparities between um, even the top of the Power Five and the bottom or the group of five schools, and then from, you know, especially from the Big Ten to the Missouri Valley. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, I think, and, and, and Justin Sell, the athletic director of South Dakota State, didn't go deep into the details, although he did mention the financial impact. Um, you know, to Dennis Dodd and that CBS story. But that, to me, is it's just another uh, indicator of, of the, you know, financial realities of this thing and, and of all uh, the complications that are going to spring up in terms of trying to, trying to play football this fall. Uh, are tests still between, God, what is it? I mean, this is like months ago. I heard a test between $100 and $250. I'm sure it varies, but... Even if you get a yeah, if you get a bargain air quote bargain deal for 150 guys or 120 guys, that's just for one football team. Let alone the rest of your athletic uh, department and and all the teams in your athletic department. That that's 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 expensive, it, but it's it's it necessary. Is. You know, it is. I, I, yeah, and I think a lot of people out there think that it is necessary. It's interesting. You know, there's some different ways you can do it. It's hard with a, a group the size of a football team. There are some group tests you can do that, that are not as expensive where um, you test five guys and, um, you know, you sort of bulk the results. And for I don't know enough about it. I'm obviously not in the medical field, but it, it reduces the uh, cost of, of the tests themselves. And then if, if you come back clean in that group of five, then those guys are good. Um, and if you get one positive in that group, then you either – you know, test those individuals only or you quarantine the five or whatever. And so mm-hmm. there's some different ways to go about um, the testing. Obviously, you know, you need to have it be a reliable, um, a reliable test. But then, uh, you know, the other part of it is, and I, I think where you want to be fair to South Dakota State or anybody out there is that it is different in June than September 
simply from the perspective of are they going to be able to play or not. Obviously, you know, if you're a, a player or a parent or, a, you know, you live in Brookings or whatever, mm-hmm. you, you might be or you might not be worried about the fact that they're not testing at all. But in terms of playing, you could theoretically test, you know, testing positive or negative right now, South Dakota State could be testing three times a week, and whether they have positive cases, you know, in, in late June really has no bearing on whether it's going to be safe for them to play football in September or not. So, you know, it could be that they're going to test in uh, mid-August or whatever, um, but certainly it's, a, it's something – I think it's just brought to the forefront the, the sort of click of like, oh, yeah, right, non-conference play. This is one of the many reasons why that's going to be – you know, complicated to figure out. Complicated is the word because, you know, two weeks ago I felt great about football happening, the full schedule. The spikes have happened in a ton of different parts of the United States. Nebraska is still relatively pretty good. Uh, the news out that Nebraska not sharing their information on positive tests, but I don't think they're hiding anything. I think it's more about privacy for their student-athletes so I'm okay not having broadcast who's got what or what team tested positive or what percentage, even though, you know, the talk has been look at LSU's roster, look at Clemson, look at K-State. That was, that was publicized and kind of causes a little bit of panic. But I think Nebraska's got a handle on things, Parker, with, with their connection with UNMC and the folks running the athletic side of things down at down at Memorial Stadium. Uh, I want to ask you about Ezra Miller, and can you kind of put into a, a projection mode here what you think Nebraska's getting in Miller? I know about his measurables. I know about his rating out of high school, and I know what like the ceiling can be for him. But as far as the fit and the pickup for Nebraska and this new route they've kind of gone with. With uh, with transfer kids that, that have already gotten a little bit of Division One seasoning. Yeah, so I think with Ezra Miller, you know, it is at this point like it is with a lot of young linemen. It is to a large degree about the projection and about the frame and all of that. But when you're six six and three ten and you've got some athleticism, um, you know, that's obviously a promising starting point. And I think, you know, he was in Iowa's uh, 2019 class, and anytime. You know, like last year when um, Travis Vokalek, the tight end from Rutgers, um, when he transferred, there's some schools and some positions um, where if someone is recruiting him hard at that position, um, you can tell sometimes by the track record, um, you know, that there's some, some promise there. Nebraska's like that with, with quarterbacks, right? A lot of times if Nebraska offers a quarterback, you'll see other teams offer, and that's because of the reputation that, that Mario Verduzco and Scott Frost have in that department. I mean, with Iowa, um, it was it was a tight end last year in Travis Volkolek that they, they were recruiting and Nebraska was recruiting too. And, and, and offensive line, you know, if you have an offensive lineman that Iowa wants or Wisconsin wants or Michigan wants, I mean, those are schools in the Big Ten that have a long track record of, of developing linemen, um, offensive linemen. And so, you know, I think it's a guy who, who Iowa is obviously high on, um, he struggled, and he's he's somewhat open about it. Um, last month, with um, you know anxiety and depression mm-hmm. while he was there, and so first and foremost, you know it's it's important for anyone um, to to feel comfortable and, and feel like they're a good fit, and and 
there's obviously some limitations with the pandemic on how far you can go in that conversation at sure. this point. But um, Ezra Miller clearly felt comfortable, um, you know, with the fit at Nebraska. And so we'll just sort of see. But he's just another guy you throw into a young, uh, you know, they've got, they've got some seniors now on the offensive line this year, but in, into a young core for the future um, and a guy that you could see playing, you know, tackle or guard somewhere down the way. Could he get a waiver? I mean, or what? What's your your read on eligibility versus the the the, the sit out? And you can make there's different cases for different kids, but there's pretty clear case here for for Ezra. He detailed it on his own social media account, all the things he went through. Yeah, um, you know, it's pot. I think. The interesting thing is that, you know, Nebraska hasn't always categorically decided to even pursue a waiver, you know. I mean, I think um, I don't know for sure uh, what their plan is with uh, Nori, Newelli, the other mm-hmm. uh, Division One transfer walk-on linemen they have coming in. I mean, I think, you you know, you can you could cite just some facts that, that Ezra Miller left Iowa um, for the reasons that he did and and Lincoln is actually closer to his hometown than Iowa City. I mean, that's that's just a geographical fact. Whether um, that is uh, enough or whether Nebraska feels like they want him, you know, to apply for a waiver, it's possible, um, you know, that they feel like a, a year. Now, granted, he's already used his redshirt year, so, you know, you might just apply for one out of principle, um, but... You know, that remains to be seen. You never know how the NCAA is going to react to those things or what the rationale behind it will be. But it will be interesting to see if Nebraska um, pursues one for Ezra Miller. Parker Gabriel is with us on Hale Varsity Radio. And Parker, you mentioned Travis Vokalak a few minutes ago. Uh, he was Nebraska's big name, uh, Big Ten transfer, I guess, last year. Can you speak a little bit about the development he made during his year of sitting out? And is he going to have a piece in this offense next year? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Scott Frost said, um, gosh, one of the times, uh, he's talked in the past few months. I think maybe it was on signing day or perhaps at the beginning of spring ball. Um, he said, you know, redshirt years, guys get out of redshirt years, what they put into them. Um, and sometimes, you know, guys don't put everything they've got into them because they know they're not playing. That wasn't the case is what, you know, that what, what Frost sort of indicated with Travis Vocal. I said he worked really hard, uh, picked up the offense. I mean, look, he's a guy who's six foot six and 250 pounds and, and was, maybe the best receiving threat that Rutgers had in, in 2018. So, um, you know, that's, it, I think there's high hopes for him. I know I'm very intrigued by what um, he brings to the offense. You have to see it, obviously. Um, the tight end position hasn't been as involved the past two years as, as anybody, you know, Nebraska's coaches or I'm sure the tight ends themselves uh, would want in an ideal world. So, um, we'll see. Um, there's there's people in the program that that think an awful lot of, of Travis Volkluck, and then at the same time you've got another. You know, you got a senior in that room in Jack Stoll, and a couple of juniors in Austin Allen and Kurt Rathall, who both played quite a bit too. So a lot of competition in that room, and and but I do think that Travis Volkluck will uh, factor squarely in the competition for playing time there. Parker Gabriel's with us, Hale Varsity Radio, Lincoln Journal Star. Parker, about a minute and a half here. Uh, what's your reaction to Nebraska's 2021 recruiting efforts uh, now that we have a third extension on the, the dead period, Nebraska getting a talented running back earlier, and you had a nice write-up on Malik Williams. What do you think Nebraska, uh, has, have they surprised you with how well they've done despite no visits? 
Yeah, a little bit. I mean, obviously there's some guys that have had connections. You know, Sean Hardy, the wide receiver from Georgia, had made it to campus. Um, some of the guys who committed had, but I think they're up to four now, mm-hmm. four out of ten that hadn't been to campus in, oh, I don't know if I can name them off the top of my head, Bryson, uh, uh, Branson Yeager, Patrick Payton, um, and a couple of other guys, well, including Gabe Irvin, who just committed the other day. So, um, that you know, I, I think they are doing well. It's interesting. Scott Frost said on that Zoom call with reporters a couple of weeks ago last week that um, he thought that not having visits was hurting Nebraska and recruiting. But obviously, you know, they're up to 10 commits so far. Um, there's a possibility for more action over the next week or 10 days. And so um, I, they're still getting verbal commitments from players they like. And it will be interesting to see, um, first of all, one, if anybody's going to be able to take visits this fall, and two, um, if Nebraska can do, do more damage um, if those visits are allowed to happen. Parker Gabriel, give him a follow on Twitter at HuskerExtraPG uh, with the Journal Star. Parker, thanks for a few minutes, man. Uh, have a great weekend and stay safe, okay? Yeah, thanks. Same to you guys. All right. Parker Gabriel, a few minutes with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. Good to get caught up with him. Kind of going around the uh, football merry-go-round. Bill Dolman will be with us in 25 minutes. The Pride of Fairbury, a lot to get to with him. Uh, we'll dive into some uh, Major League Baseball thoughts and uh, – the NBA. What's their next move? Hale Varsity continues, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. He's in his 30s, but sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hale Varsity Radio. I got the body of a taut pre-teen Swedish boy. Thanks for hanging out. Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Reminder about your friends at West Blue Realty. If you're moving in 2020, let the real estate professionals at West Blue Realty uh, help you move today. They specialize in residential home sales in Lincoln and surrounding communities. They'll make this move a smooth one for you. For a limited time, you mentioned Hale Varsity and West Blue Realty can help you with up to $1,000 on the closing of your next home purchase. Tom Luby, the man with the plan, he can help you out. Give Tom a shout, 402-540-3768. Or Kelly Hofschneider. Kelly's there to take the phone call at 402-202-2312. It pays to work with West Blue. WestBlueRealty.com, 1120 K Street, Suite 200 in Lincoln. Love this uh, topic buy or sell, right? Hale Varsity is going down the list. Good stuff with uh, Brandon Vogel and Dr. Petey. And you can go through everybody in the Big Ten and circle who's going to have a, a better 2020 versus 2019. And, you know, the, the first team on the list is one of those kind of coin flip squads where Indiana football did things they've not done in a long, long time, damn near 30 years. And they went 8-4 and four last year, went to a bowl game. Will they be better in 2020? Are you buying or selling that? Nebraska has not made the, the, the discussion point yet, but there's been a, a, a discussion on, on Maryland and Indiana, Michigan, Sparty, and then Ohio State. Let's turn our attention to what Penn State has in store for them in 2020. So is Penn State going to be a squad that finishes in the top 10, wins 11 ball games, and loses to Ohio State for a third consecutive season? That sounds to me 
like, yeah, that's that's going to be Penn State. Penn State stubbed their toe against Ohio State. Penn State stubbed their toe at Minnesota, where credit to Minnesota winning that football game. Penn State had zero points four times inside Minnesota territory. I think they had three interceptions in the red zone. Didn't work out. Now you have Minnesota's offensive coordinator going to Penn State. Uh, Micah Parsons, incredible. James Franklin's been phenomenal. All they've done is challenge and lead Ohio State, but not close against Ohio State. And they've had to reload because they've had guys on the offensive side. When you think of Barkley or Godwin, uh, when you think of some of the defensive line talent they've had, Penn State's defense will carry them. Penn State will be a top four or top five ranked team. Penn State still could lose to Ohio State and get to a college football playoff. I think the Big Ten has a great shot of getting Ohio State and either Wisconsin or Penn State in. I need to look at the schedule here real quick to see if Ohio State, I should say, if Penn State and Wisconsin play one another. I think you can get out of the Big Ten uh, and not be a conference champ with one regular season loss and get in. Especially if that loss is to Ohio State. (laughs) And they've been close. They have been close. My thought on the Penn State team this year is it's kind of relying on what Sean Clifford's going to be doing. And I think he's been okay. He's been okay. He's, he's got, not been like McSorley, but he's been... The, McSorley had the flair for, dramat, for the dramatic, didn't mm-hmm. he? He did. I mean, he had, he had the flair for the dramatic. He was great. He hit a bunch of big 50-50 plays. And they weren't just, well, let's, let's kiss our cross and, and hope it goes well in that Big Ten championship season, he was he was really, really good for them. Yeah. And Clifford, I think, can be there too. Yeah, all he has to do is be good enough. With that defense that they have, I mean, Micah Parsons probably going to be the best player in the Remember Big Ten. Remember when that dude was running fly patterns on Friday Night Lights? That's when you knew the kid was going to be good. I remember seeing that and thinking, wherever this guy goes, it's like, he's going to be It's nice that he's star. visiting Nebraska. He ain't moving here. <laughs> but, I mean, he was beating three and four-star defensive backs mm-hmm. on fly routes as a, as a linebacker. I think at the time he was even playing a little bit of defensive end. So he's going to be the best player in the Big Ten next year, at least on the defensive side of the ball, in my opinion. The question for me is this team is still pretty young. When you, when you look across the roster, I think they have five seniors that are starting across their uh, their 22 starters on offense and defense. So the question is going to be, is this a year where they're looking to set up uh, a college football playoff run the next year? Are they looking to make the run this year? I, I think it kind of depends on the, the early season success, how much they're clicking. Because this could be a team where if they go 10-2, and 11-1 this year, they could be setting themselves up for a Big Ten championship, 12-0, running a national championship the year after that. Here's what I look at with Penn State. It's, it's manageable for them this year. Their schedule, they do have to go to Virginia Tech, allegedly. We can all say allegedly with the non-conference this year. That's big. They host Northwestern. They go to Michigan. That's not easy. They host Penn State. That's consecutive. They get Michigan, they get Iowa, they get Ohio State all consecutively. God love you, Big Ten. You don't take it easy on your big dogs ever. You always have some sort of death march involved with the team's best, with, with the best in the league or some of your blue blood names. Is that Penn State game against Iowa the week before Ohio State? Is that in Iowa City? It's no, they okay. That's, that's good. They, for them. they are hosting Iowa. That's good for them. And they're hosting Ohio State in consecutive weeks, but there's no buy between them, <laughs> right? So they do have a buy between Michigan and Iowa. So 
That looks good. I think the trip to Lincoln in November won't be easy for him. Mm-mm. I think uh, Maryland, that's always a rivalry. That Chesapeake region is where Penn State loves to recruit, and James Franklin's got a lot of history with Maryland. They end with Rutgers, another kind of back-to-back rivalry-type games, at least regional rivalry-type games. Sparty goes to, to, to Penn State after Nebraska gets him. So if you were to pick out where Penn State loses, uh, they could lose at Virginia Tech. But I think with that defense, they're, they've been pretty good on the road. Uh, they could lose at Michigan. Right, and they can lose at home to Ohio State. I think they can get by Iowa, and then we'll just see I mean, where we're at in the world of college football in November. Is Nebraska a better football team? Is Penn State a fading football team after that stretch? Because, uh, and, and the other side of this too, Penn State's got to go to Indiana after Ohio State. And it, listen, going to Indiana now with Allen there and even with, um, uh, with Wilson – better bring your your offense because you've got to outscore them most times when you go to Bloomington that's kind of been the feel and trend it's been that way for Ohio State it's been that way for for Nebraska when you look at last year's shootout even though it was a Memorial Stadium you have to outscore Indiana period when you play them at their place but the big game and it's still the the top target in the Big Ten is still Ohio State and I think Penn State's probably the only team in the Big Ten this year that's got a defense that's good enough that you could reasonably expect they could contain Justin Fields. I think they could go smack the hell out of him. Exactly. I think they're the only team in the Big Ten that's got a defense that's good enough to do that. So I think they're probably the only real challengers to Ohio State this year. I still think Ohio State's still head and shoulders above everyone else. Though. I, I, am, I am buying Penn State. I am buying Penn State to at least go 11-2. and two, And I'm buying Penn State to finish in the top 10. Hmm. I think they will do at a minimum that this year if we get it i'll buy them just because i think they're going to finish second in the big 10 i'm not sure where they're going to finish season kind of depends where their losses are but i can see top 15 finish with a loss to only ohio state hey and their crossover i mean it's not easy in iowa against iowa not easy against nebraska and now and now back to hail varsity radio One final time this hour, Hail Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery, Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. Bill Dolman coming up, and Jay Moore. Jay, a part of match play this week for the Nebraska Amateurs. And then Barry Switzer, the time he went to the Derby with Keith Jackson. And a fun Charles Haley story. 466-377-6800-825-5865. You're a big NBA guy, Elijah. And uh, testing has been going on, and it's it, it looks like you know Mickey Mouse and Minnie and Goofy and everybody's gonna be in that bubble, and we're gonna get some NBA. How are you? Are you geeked about the NBA coming back, or have you kind of shifted gears to yes, we want live sports, but it, it there's still some some time between when the NBA is gonna get back up. We'll get some baseball in here in about three weeks. And then we'll hopefully fast forward into football. It's cautiously optimistic. Cautiously optimistic for the NBA because, I mean, the players, some of them still have some problems with the bubble they're going to be living in. Uh, I mean, the Disney employees that they're going to be interacting with aren't required to be living within a bubble. 
So that runs into some issues whenever all the players and all the reporters are in a bubble, but the people that they're interacting with on a day-to-day basis aren't. But I'm still optimistic they're they're making things a little bit more laid back for this. I think the NBA kind of understands what a weird scenario that they're in. Uh, players are no longer going to have a dress code on the uh, on the sidelines whenever they're not playing. Um, there's replacement players that are being signed for players that don't want to go play there, and or if they uh, if they're scared of getting COVID down there, they uh, they can opt out of playing, and the NBA player or NBA teams can go sign other NBA players. So I mean, it's going to be a little bit weird. The Lakers already know that one of their key guys off the bench, Avery Bradley, isn't going to be playing, um, which makes things extra tough on them whenever mm-hmm. you have, I mean, you got LeBron, so let's be honest. But, I mean, they have an aging roster around LeBron. So whenever you start losing guys around him, you're running into some issues. But at the same time, I think I can still be excited for the weirdness, even if I know, <laughs> like, I mean, you know, you know what I'm excited saying? Excited for the weirdness. I mean, here's what I know. 16 out of 302 have tested positive. Mm-hmm. That's a small number. Here's what also I know. Clemson football, their COVID numbers, they are reporting them. June 8th, two players test positive. Last week, 21 more players positive to bring that total to 23. This week, 14 more players positive, bringing the total to 37. So what you do have here is about a third of their roster that's been tested positive for COVID-19. So I don't know if they're I don't know if they're not I don't know if they're not isolating or it was asymptomatic. So you're in the same living room or what whatever. And and that's what scares me about the NBA is how quickly it can spread, especially if these guys are living in a bubble. They're all in one of two hotels down there Mm -hmm. uh, that the teams are pretty evenly split among these hotels. But I mean, how quickly it can spread whenever you have someone who's asymptomatic. That's why I'm cautiously optimistic. We'll uh, check in with Bill Dolman. We'll get Bill's thoughts as uh, Boyd Epley retiring uh, officially, and he'll retire again, but this time for for good. And Bill, uh, a lot of time with Nebraska football. Got to see Husker Power up close and personal and what, what a game changer it was for Nebraska to be bigger, faster, stronger. And uh, Boyd Epley, the uh, architect of that. So we'll get into some football thoughts with Bill Dolman. Jay Moore coming up, and uh, Barry Switzer. Hail Varsity continues Hour 2. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Welcome to Hail Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hail Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Hour two, Hail Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbalberry. Switzer coming up in 30 minutes. Jay Moore on the way. We welcome in. He is the pride of Fairbury. He's with NBC Sports. He has starred countless times with Blondes on Mattresses. For TV, we say hi to Bill Dolman. Billy D, how's your Friday? Well, I'm not hanging out with any blondes on mattresses. I'm hanging out with you guys. I'm but, saying uh, I, I, you have starred on TV. speaking, okay. <laughs> you have starred on TV with blondes <laughs> on mattresses. <laughs> and that's not happening today. So relatively <laughs> speaking, I'm all right. I guess I'm not as good as I could be, though. No, absolutely not. I mean... Bill Dolman, your your film work is unparalleled, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Brother, uh, I got a lot to get into, but I want to I want to start off with uh, your experience, your insights, some thoughts on Boyd Epley as, as he is retiring. And I know he's he's stepped away before from the program, but pretty uh, major influence for Nebraska football. Devaney through Osborne and then back again. And, and I know that there are his uh, nutrition and, and strength and conditioning disciples that have taken the mantle all over the college football world and just athletics world in general to uh, make kids bigger, stronger, and faster. And what do you remember about, about Boyd and, and his contributions to, to Nebraska? You know, uh, the, the thing that a couple things stand out to me, and uh, Boyd, Boyd did a great job, and much like Tom Osborne, of enabling his assistants to develop as young strength coaches into becoming major college strength coaches. And I think of the staff that he had. And, you know, I, I, there are times when I think that there were probably some philosophical differences with the way, you know, the uh, certain coaches had um, in terms of the way they wanted to train athletes. Um, but nevertheless, I think you had Boyd had under him an incredibly smart and dedicated a group of strength coaches that knew the Nebraska way that even though they may have some different, you know, philosophies on how to train certain athletes, there was still that understanding of this is how we do things at Nebraska, much the way Tom had his football program. And really Tom's influence was over the entire athletic department, but, you know, Boyd had great people, uh, you know, Mike Arthur, Randy Goble, John Jost, uh, Paul Koch, uh, Gosh, the, the Kevin Coleman, I remember. Um, uh, Brian Bailey, <laughs> to this day, Brian Bailey may, and I don't mean this in a bad way, may have been one of the more unusual strength coaches in the world. How so? Uh, well, you know, Brian, Brian didn't fit the mold. I mean, Brian was kind of a, um, Brian probably was maybe not the biggest guy in the world, maybe five, eight, okay. and maybe 150 pounds. But when it came to understanding how to train the body and do so in some unusual ways, but also being a great psychologist, uh, and Brian worked a lot with the basketball program down at the Devaney Center, but, you know, he had a lot of trust with athletes that would come back from the NFL. And, uh, you know, Brian, <laughs> I saw Brian work out. There were a couple times when I worked out with Brian, and it's like I didn't know the human body could function in this way, you know. Uh, but. <laughs> But there were just so many guys that, that were just so smart, and he enabled them to do what they did to relate to the athletes and to better themselves as strength coaches that, you know, bettered the athlete. And then, I guess, unfortunately, <laughs> they went on and went to other schools, you know, and, and the Nebraska roots, uh, you know, reach, you know, from border to border, uh, coast to coast, uh, because of the, the program that Boyd created not just in – you know, sets and reps, but in allowing coaches to develop themselves. And then they took that expertise on to other places. But was also, is also a master marketer. Well, let's face it, if there was somebody who had uh, any kind of strength and conditioning equipment, they brought it to Boyd for his seal of approval. And I'm sure, uh, I'm sure Boyd was well compensated for a thumbs up. Mm. Um, to that end, we were never without bells, whistles, and every you know everything in the Nebraska strength and conditioning program. That was always amazing. But but another thing that I want to say about about him now is I think Boyd coming back uh, 
to be a part of the Nebraska program, you know, he was gone for what four or five years, mm-hmm. but I think living out here in Colorado, actually, going back and wanting to help reestablish Nebraska's athletic strength and conditioning program, the athletic department, you know, renew uh, relationships between the department and the people. Uh, I, and Dave Ellis also, mm-hmm. you know, was a pioneer and, and arguably the greatest in terms of sports nutrition and development. You know, for those guys to, to you know, leave the, the life that they've had out here in Colorado to go back to Nebraska and to be a part of what Bill Moose is doing, Scott Frost is now doing, all of that I think kind of put a seal of approval, again, I use that term, on, on the, the direction of the program, the people in the program, bringing back a little of the history and the tradition and utilizing that to build the future upon. So I think him going back, Dave Ellis going back, you know, Brandon Meyer, young guy, not, not necessarily somebody who was back in the days of Devaney and Osborne, but Brandon created an incredible empire at Sooner Vision at Oklahoma. You've got people who have deep roots at Nebraska who are using those roots to build the future. And I think Boyd going back, you know, kind of says things are okay, and I want to be a part of it again before I retire. So I respect him for that. Bill Dolman's with us. Pride of Fairbury, NBC Sports, at Bill Dolman on Twitter. Bill, a uh, friend of the show is Bill Bender with the Sporting News, and he put out, and he has a pretty pretty rock-solid uh, theory here. Not, it's not even a theory. It's just here's how we make up. It's an algorithm. Right. The point total for you to be a, a ranked team, and he went through and he ranked the top 25 programs the last 10 years. Okay. And did you play for a title? Did you win a title? How many guys did you put in the NFL? How many New Year's Bowls did you go to? All those things. And Nebraska's first half of 2010, they're 27 games over 500. they They're playing in conference title games. Guys are going to the NFL. The last five years, they've had one winning season. So Nebraska does not get into the top 25 club of the last 10 years. Where would you project Nebraska when you look at 2010 through 2019 as we head into 2020? Where would you rank Nebraska? Uh, how far outside the top 25? Would they be just receiving votes? Are they a top 35 program? Are they top 50? Where would you slate Nebraska? Ahead of Colorado. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> um, no, no shocker there. Well, they don't even know that they have a program. Um Look, I think all those on, edibles, we're, Bill. We're on the cusp of, of, uh, of a new era, new decade. Um, I, I don't see why uh, I, I shouldn't put Nebraska number one. Okay. I, view, I view the world through big red, you know, scarlet and cream-colored glasses. So why not? I mean, nobody else has done anything this decade, right? Not yet. Right, hope exactly. We, hope we get to. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, there's 68 teams that start the NCAA tournament. They all got a chance, right? Uh-huh. Uh, uh, except for the ones in Dayton. So I, I think Nebraska is, a, is at the cusp of doing something pretty special. And, uh, you know, it, it, has it taken longer? Absolutely, than we wanted it to. But I don't see why there isn't any reason why Nebraska can't. With the new the new facilities that are going into place, with a fan base that remains passionate, uh, with a coach that is relevant to today's uh, college football player, you know, I, I don't think the days of Nebraska being a top twenty five program consistently are that far away. 
and I and I would be bold enough to say I don't think the the days of Nebraska being a top fifteen consistent a consistent top fifteen program are all that far away. Maybe not this year, but maybe. But I, I, I there's, let's face it, there's really nowhere for the program to go but up. Sure. At least, you know, so we hope. But but why why not why not buy Nebraska right now? I would. Bill Dolman is with us here on Hale Varsity Radio, and Bill, it's difficult to put Nebraska at a numbered list. I, I get that, but are there any schools that you would compare Nebraska's last decade to in terms of success uh, or lack thereof? Uh, I would try to compare to Colorado, but I have no idea what they've done the last decade, and nobody else does either. <laughs> can I can I drive that point home anymore? Just ham- yeah, hammer that home. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's hard to it's hard to judge uh, because it has been such an unusual you know last two decades unfortunately I think it'd be one thing if Nebraska had you know peaked and did just just completely slid downhill and been mired at the bottom and that's just the way life is but there have been so many you know self inflicted wounds with bad leadership and bad management that I think it's hard to really grasp. You know what the identity of Nebraska athletics is right now. I, I, I the the program that I often look back on in terms of its history is Minnesota. Okay. If you go back to the 1930s and 40s, you know, in the days when Army was also one of the dominant programs, Minnesota was you know like one of the uh, I think they won a national championship like in 39 or 40 or they like 41, five, five like in that. a row or something. Yeah, you know, way back when, and then they just you know slid down the hill and stayed there. And that was just, you know, kind of people, that's just Minnesota, that's just the way it's going to be. And then finally, in the last, you know, maybe eight years, they've kind of turned things around. But I wouldn't exactly say that they're on solid footing, but they certainly enjoyed a couple of nice seasons with P.J. Fleck. Mm -hmm. But for Nebraska, there's just been no opportunity to get any traction with decent leadership in the last, you know, really the last 20 years. I was just having a conversation today with somebody with Pittsburgh roots, and the four-year case of the flu came mm. up, you know, and, and you're thinking that was self-inflicted. You know, you had, um, you know, the chancellor that sure was a part of the NCAA football committee, but I don't think Nebraska, necessarily did Nebraska a lot of favors other than follow along Tom Osborne into the Big Ten, which has given Nebraska some stability, certainly financially. Uh, the the I-Course era was a complete disaster in terms of leadership. You just continue to set yourself backward uh, without really having any identity in the program. So to, to equate Nebraska to another program like that, I think, I think it's really difficult to do. Bill, i got to ask you, you've been a part of uh, broadcasts, you've been a part of athletic departments, you've had people ask your opinion on coaches or athletic directors because of your 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 background in sports and this is just an out loud question i've always wondered how the hell do you get it so wrong not you but somebody who's in charge how do you get it so wrong with such a bad hire how do you botch something so horribly well i I do take blame uh because i should have been the athletic director at the university of nebraska (laughs) and because i chose another career path this is what's happened so i do lay the blame at myself, Tom Osborne would still be the football coach, okay. you know, um, that, or as long as they wanted to be. Uh-huh. So yes, it is. It is somewhat on me, but uh, I think you had people who just did not understand, um, you know, aspects of leadership, and when they were exposed to 
what great leadership is, they didn't really pay attention. They had their own ego in mind. They had their own personal agenda and personal vendettas. And uh, they executed that when they got in uh, the big chair where they didn't, where people thought they belonged, but they certainly didn't. Mm. And, um, and you had people that went along with it. I think Nebraska was blessed to have had an athletic director in Bob Devaney, who was a football coach and who understood what Tom was going to go through, the highs and the lows. And, you know, we all know the lows weren't mm-hmm. very low for Tom. But, you know, I don't think Tom ever feared that he was going to be in trouble for losing a game, three games, or maybe even five games, six games. Because he, t- Bob understood what Tom was going through and what it took to be a football coach and, and that program and everything. Um, and then, you know, certainly Tom Osborne and Bill Byrne had clashes of personality. Bill was the, the right athletic director at the right time to bring Nebraska from the 70s ahead of the rest of the college football and athletic department world, you know, in terms of the way he operated. But he let Tom do his thing, whether they liked each other or not. That's beside the point. They functioned together. They, they worked but together. They worked, and it worked out well. But, you know, when you had Bill leave and the decision was made, and, you know, it was universally accepted, I think, that, that Steve was the guy, and it turned out to be completely wrong. And then you had, you know, Harvey Perlman, who had whatever agenda he had, and then, you know, you get rid of Steve, and fortunately Tom comes in there to kind of settle things, and the decision with Sean Eichhorst is, is still mystifying to me. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I, I can't believe Barry Alvarez is to blame. I, but I wouldn't you just think... Had, you just, you yeah. just had people making bad, bad decisions with, with people who, you know, they're looking at more like at resumes, uh, and, and, and instead of people with real athletic, I believe, experience, they were looking at people with, with resumes, and is this going to look good in the boardroom as opposed to is this going to look good in the locker room and on the field? And uh, I think it was disastrous. Bill Dolman, Pride of Fairbury, NBC Sports. Billy D., what, uh, got about 30 seconds here. What do you got happening this weekend? Well, I'm, uh, right now, I, after the introduction, I'm kind of hoping that there's a, a mattress <laughs> commercial coming my way, but uh, I'm guessing that's not going to happen either. <laughs> Some more, maybe, you know, some, you know, some more maybe, art maybe, film work. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe I'll try to figure out exactly what's happening with, with the NBA and Major League Baseball to see what kind of convoluted plans they have, because quite frankly, I just can't quite figure out what any of those people are trying to do. And I think maybe they just ought to say, look, everybody gets a ribbon. Let's call it good we'll see and, hope, and hope there's football, right? Because I can't believe that anybody's going to win a, a baseball or NBA championship is going to, like, hoist the trophies and go, wow, this was a great year. Yeah. Bill, take care, and we'll chat with you after the fourth, bud. Thanks for the time. All right. Have a great weekend. Go Big Red. All right. Jay Moore's coming up with Hale Varsity. All-State, two-year starter, and rush in for the Big Red, and NFL vet. He's Dudeness or uh, Duder or, uh, you know, El Duderino, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. It's Blackshirt, Jay Moore with Hale Varsity Radio. Back with you, Tail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. We say hi to Blackshirt Husker NFLer Jay Moore, his podcast. More to it, and you catch him on Big Red Wrap-Up as co-host. And 
Jay, put your putter down, man. <laughs> it's been a busy week for you on the golf course. Congrats on on what you've been able to do uh, in your golf career, man. And uh, another another nice showing this week of the uh, the state amateurs. Kind of take us through how your week was. Yeah, it was just it was the you know the state match play here in town at uh, Hillcrest, and um, obviously being. Lincoln. I live here in Lincoln and very familiar with the golf course. You know, you, um, you know, you have to kind of go through two rounds of qualifying just to get into match play. So you have to, you know, about five or six years ago, it was just one, one uh, round of match or qualifying to get in. So you can kind of catch lightning in a bottle and, and qualify for one round. But now it's two rounds. So you got to kind of prove yourself for two and it kind of separates some guys. So I played solid. I played good enough. I played really well on my first day. Shot 70, um, 200 par. Um, next day, I just kind of scraped it around, and to be honest, don't don't do anything too crazy to get yourself out of you know qualifying. So you know, I made a couple bogeys, and you know, and didn't didn't make any birdies, but it was good enough to get in. Um, so yeah, I just the match play part. Yeah, it's uh, it was <laughs> it was it was kind of a tough pill to swallow. Kind of got some bad breaks. I, it was a kind of the equivalent of you know, honestly probably having about a three touchdown lead at halftime and then letting them come back and, and you know, losing overtime. That's, that's mm. how I would equate it, equate it to uh, to football. Um, kind of had it going. I was playing solid early. Uh, hit some good shots. Um, the kid I was playing, young kid, he's a, in college, college player. Really good player. He just wasn't hitting as good. And then, you know, I kind of made a mistake and he finally won a ball and that kind of gave us some confidence and um, it's kind of it's just the momentum switched um, in the match, and that's just like at any sport, you know, you gotta you gotta learn how to close out your opponents. And I just wasn't able to do that. And I had a chance to win it on 17, and um, he made about a 25 foot putt for par to win the hole, and then go to that, you know. And then it was kind of I just was on the downside. It just felt slipping, and it's, it's, it wasn't a good feeling. So um, overall, you know, I'm always happy um, to make it into match play. It's 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 a grind to do that play well for two days in a row to get in there but uh i just i gotta learn how to be a better match play player we just don't do it a lot i don't do it a lot i've i've uh i've qualified you know for the match play uh part of it the last three years and um i've only won one match i've only made it around a 16 hmm. so i've been knocked out you know on the first match two last three years so that's got to improve but overall like i said uh, when it comes down to it you know first and foremost my goal is always to make the match play field every year and i did that and um, just got to start capitalizing a little more in the match play. But match play is a different animal. That's just, it's, it's a different beast. Um, you're just playing an opponent, and you gotta, like I guess I gotta learn to close out, close out guys. And when I when I get the chance to, but uh, Alex is a, he's a really good player. He just got some he got some momentum going, and I couldn't I couldn't get it back. So overall, you know, on to on some other things, and I'll take I'll take what I did well this week, and and uh, you know move on to hopefully help me out another golf tournament the rest of the year. Jay Moore's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Jay, thanks for, for kind of letting us in. That's a helpless feeling, and, and we've all felt it in some aspect of life. You've done it on the, the golf course or the football field where you're, you're doing your best and you feel it slipping away, but you can also tip your cap. If a guy hits a 25-foot bomb on you, I mean, that's just dude making a play as well, correct? I mean, you correct. gotta you gotta kind of give props where they're where they're due. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I mean, he hit better golf shots than me coming down, the, you know, on the back nine. 
um, like I said, I had a chance to really put him out um, of the match, you know, early in the in the back nine, and uh, I just didn't do that. I just didn't hit good enough putts, and um, it is what it is. Like you, you gotta when you, in the field of thirty, when you get down to thirty-two players, I mean, everyone that qualifies really good. Mm-hmm. They're really good players. You know, it wasn't someone guy that you know qualified, you know got hot for. There's no happy day, Gilmore no. out there, is what you're telling me. What what's that? So there's no happy Gilmore out there. Yeah, yeah. You just you have to play. You, you know, you got to. Everyone's everyone's really good. Um, so you know, I just like I said, yeah, I pretty much gave up a three touchdown lead at, at halftime, and you know, maybe you know, they had an early turnover in the third quarter, and, mm. or they blocked a punt or something like that, and it kind of just flipped the flipped the momentum totally, and um, it's just all about energy, you know, and you got. Some good things going, and my energy was good. And I make a mistake, and it drains my energy. He, you know, he hits it to a couple feet on the next hole, and birdies it, and I par it. All of a sudden, you know, it's, you know, here we go. Mm-hmm. So I'm fighting my ass off, but that's just that's how sports goes. You know, you got to learn to close out close out people when you have them. And um, I didn't do, do enough, I didn't do a good enough job. So no complaining here. You know, just got to play better. Jay, uh, I want to go to Nebraska football, and what you're talking about with golf can apply to, you know, what what type of mentality this Nebraska football team will no doubt want to have. And we can cite examples of Nebraska having some leads and not closing out in a team finding a way, be it Colorado last year or Northwestern in, in 2018. Those come to mind where you're just sick about it. Uh, when it comes to Nebraska's defense, Jay, I'm interested to get your take. Really impressed with the the job Nebraska's done recruiting for a linebacker. And I know that these are just high school kids and they're 2021 kids, but you look at the recruits brought in for 2020 at linebacker, you look at 2021 prospects, and a kid I really enjoy talking with is, is, is Schweitzer, a kid out of Northern California that's just – I mean, he's tall. He's athletic. He's six, you know, he's six three and a half and two twenty, and and really a nice hybrid outside guy. A lot like you when you transition to the NFL. What's the most difficult part of of being that hybrid outside backer? Because you're asked to do great against the run. You're asked to be athletic and fast, so you can run things down. You know, away away from you know kind of kind of run the ball down uh, from the from the backside you're supposed to be decent in coverage but also flip that switch and go kill a quarterback it's a really tough position to get and get good at what's the most difficult difficult uh, task to like be really good at with all those jobs at the outside spot yeah it's, you know for me you know it's hard, it's tough because as a defense you know, a defensive lineman you know you didn't really worry about coverages it was right. just learning how to play the run and rush faster and you know didn't like to communicate that much um when you're an outside guy um you got to be a swiss army knife you got to you just saw right you got to be able to rush the passer you got to be able to play the run um set the edge you got to be able to communicate with your with a uh, defensive tackle next to you the other linebacker the safeties the, the corners and, and coverage situations um, you have to play with a really good eye. You have to learn to pass. You know, you just gotta. It's it's a lot, and um, you kind of get spread a little thin in trying to you know do things. You can't. You know, you have to 
participate in seven on seven and then run down there. Usually, you know, they're doing one on one pass rush, O line, D line during seven on seven periods. So then you get 10 reps at seven on seven and you got to run down and, and do, you know, get a few reps of one on one pass rush against a tight end or an offensive tackle or something like that. So you just, it's hard to really, um, just get good at everything, but you have to be. You have to be really good at everything, and it, it, they just put a lot of stress. So that's why, you know, you have to be big, strong, athletic, smart, um, play with good eyes. It's, it is, you just like I said, you just get you get spread thin, and you, know, you got to be able to read. You know, if you are you're not the guy who's rushing, you are going to be dropping in the pass coverage. You got to be able to still play the run if it's a run play, and then recognize if it's not to get back, get your drop, whether you're to the cover four side or a cover two side or whatever it may mm-hmm. be um, with whatever defense is called so it's 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 just a lot you just you get spread thin you just really it's a hard to just focus on kind of one thing like most positions kind of get to do you know you know inside linebackers um, they play the run and they have their, their pass drops mm-hmm. sometimes they blitz but you know they don't do it a ton so you just it's it might be one of the hardest positions to really um you know, for lack of better terms, master sure. um, in, 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 in the, in, in, on the football field. So um, it takes a special one. And when you see, you know, the good ones I've done it before, I mean, let's be honest, first and foremost, in that position, the, the best thing a guy can do is rush the passer. Okay. That is the most important thing. Um, that changes football games. That That changes you know, how all O-lines protect. Um, you look at great outside linebackers, you know, NFL. You look at, you know, Devon Millers. I mean, DeMarcus Ware when he's with the Cowboys. And um, you just go down the line, you know. I mean, Lawrence Taylor's, uh, Derek Thomas's, the guys that sure. just could flat out change football games because they could flat out run the passer. Like, and yeah, they might have to drop and do some things every now and then, but, you know, that's maybe – 10, 20% of the defensive plays that they play. So, most important, they got to be able to just flat out get after the passer. Um, so, if they want to really focus on something, that's not to say that's, that's the most important. That's, that's kind of plan A for those guys is you got to be able to rush the passer. We just, you know, we're still missing that, that link right now um, with those outside guys. Jay, uh, a quick thought here about uh, 90 seconds. Jay Moore is with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Are you concerned with uh, with COVID numbers and college football, uh, NFL, college? Do you worry that we may push the season back? Do you worry that may we may suspend it, or do you think it's going to just trudge forward? Yeah, it's just funny. It's just, you know, back in April I was worried, and then just a couple weeks ago I was, oh, my gosh, this is – we're, we're going to get rock and rolling here. Uh, I still think it's going to be fine. This thing is, we're going to have some cases and show symptoms, whatever it is, you know. So they're going to be out for uh, We're at this point now, and I, I think PJ Tour has done a phenomenal job. Jay Monahan this week came out, you know. They've had a little cases, but let's be honest. I mean, they had over 2,000 tests, and only seven people have tested positive. I mean, that's like a 0.2%. It's like, you're going to have some of it, but let's don't overreact. That's the biggest thing. That's what... Use information and let's make smart decisions and don't overreact to anything. And yes, well, some maybe schools get hurt by this, maybe potentially, or uh, NFL for sure. I think the NFL will for sure play. Some colleges might have to do some different things because of budget concerns. And I still think, you know, here in Lincoln, football's going to get going. And 
Can't wait for it to start. Can't either, man. I can't wait for that big skin. Jay, uh, have a good weekend, brother. Thanks for a few minutes. Yep, you got it. Thank you. And we're back. Fellas, you think we could listen to the radio? On Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Back in Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. He won a Super Bowl. He won multiple national championships. Former coach with the Sooners and Cowboys, Barry Switzer, back with his coach. Thanks for a few minutes. How are you? I'm great uh, right now. I'm a little head cold and uh, doing good. Chris, always enjoy being with you folks up north of here. Well, we love catching up with you. But before we get to draft, you blew Twitter up last weekend with your outfit, and it looked spectacular <laughs> at the Kentucky Derby. Where'd you get that sport coat, Coach? Well, Keith Jackson and I, my couple of course, Larry Lacell, had coached here for years, defensive coordinator, back when y'all had Monty Kiffin there and and Tom were assistants. We were all together here in the seventies, and uh, and been great friends for years. And, and here, Keith Jackson, one of my great players, lives in Little Rock. Well, Larry's there in Arkansas too, so. I decided I'd just whip in there and pick those two guys up and go on to Kentucky Derby and have a great weekend. And, uh, of course, we all had to get uh, nice-looking outfits uh, that fit the occasion. And uh, <laughs> a couple of – we got the people to call us. They thought we were at a pimp convention when they saw us. <laughs> we, had, we were dressed up and, uh, uh, for the Derby. But, you know, we had a great time. It's a lot of fun. And Keith Jackson says, this doesn't violate NCAA rules, does it? Coach, <laughs> yeah, I said, no, I don't think it does. We, I can take you now after 20 years that's pretty good. How'd you do at the window? I mean, did you pick a couple winners? You know what? I, I I don't know anything about the horses, but I had a guy with us. Uh, I went up with a guy named Harold Ham, who's who bought the racetrack. You know, they ought to change million dollar roll when he's in there. It's billion dollar roll. He's worth about <laughs> seventeen, eighteen billion dollars, and and uh, we we had a great time. He's he he's like me. He doesn't know how to play the horses. He's worked all his damn life. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so. But we did have a guy with us that's played the horses all his life. He knew how to put box and combo and trifecta, exact, all that crap I don't know anything about. Well, we just turned him loose, and he's playing a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars a race, but only certain races. He wouldn't play every race. He's only got, he, he knows what races he wants to be in. And we would let him, and we'd take a percentage of his bet, see. Mm. And that's, and we ended up winning money that way. You know, we won a couple thousand, but it was, uh, he won about 3,000, you know. <laughs> but uh, he, knew, he knew what he was to do it. I tell you what, you really need to know what you're doing. You just don't go pick it on the name or color of a horse or, mm. you know, the jockey and all that, that those things. The jockey's probably more important than color in the name of a horse, but... Uh, uh, it was fun. I did it last year. I did it again this year. I did it a couple times when I was at the Cowboys. I've done it before. Uh, I've been about five times. But it's always one of those bucket list events, and uh, I really enjoyed uh, doing it. Coach, uh, a lot like the Derby, picking the right draft pick, important. Uh, Coach, did you enjoy the, the draft experience? Can you take me through uh, your experience with it? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, sure, I enjoyed it. I think the one thing about pro football that you really enjoy is 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 you know uh, the the draft and uh, preparing for the draft is evaluating talent. I always in high, in college, I always love enjoy looking at high school tape of football players, trying to find that Billy Sims, that uh, you know that Leroy Selman. Uh, you always got your measuring stick of uh, what you have in your mind, what you've coached, what you've uh, played with. 
and uh, you're putting everyone up against their talents and abilities and what they look like. And because uh, you, you remember that. You got a mental picture of how they played, how they practiced, what they looked like on tape. And you're always looking for these guys against competition. And, and so when, when you look at high, uh, college tape, I'm doing the same thing. And in the three or four weeks, five weeks before the draft, you're always in there every day with the scouts talking to them. You're in there the next day with the coaches because the coaches, position coaches, have always looked at the people they would coach in the draft. And, uh, and the scouts are going over their area, their talent in their area. We're going over their grades. We're looking at tape, giving their opinion on how these guys ought to be on the board and how they rank their players. And then we all get in there as a group. And then we evaluate. Everybody evaluates. We hold up a name of the top guys on the list. You go down your list of 100. You've already kind of pre-ranked them. And then you say, where should this guy go on the board? And everybody in the room says, well, that guy should go number one. Everybody in the room votes on it. Might have a few dissenters, but most of the time it's the majority. And uh, I'm the tiebreaker. And uh, we, if there is a tie, and we put that guy at one, then we go the next guy, the next guy, the next guy. And that's how you set your board. In other words, regardless of what position they play, Chris, you're going to set them up there uh, by their abilities and talent. And uh, it's not by what the needs of your own team is. It's what the ability and talent of the player is, regardless of the other 32 teams in the league, what their needs are, who they are, and all. So you set your board, and you know what? It's amazing how everyone else, the other 32 teams' board is set. Because when you watch the first round be picked and go off the board, we, our, our first round disappears too, just like probably everyone else's first round disappears. We might have one or two guys left in the first round on our board that didn't go, and you know we might. Uh, that, that's our evaluation of them. Doesn't mean we're wrong. They're probably going to go early in the second round, but it means that we've done a good job of setting our board when the rest of the league agreed with us. Uh, and yet we haven't even talked to them what their board was like. No one tells what their board is. And uh, that just tells you well, you've done a good job in your evaluation. Kind of validates uh, if everyone's on the same page, this right, is the guy right. you, you got to take. Barry Switzer with us, Hale Varsity Radio, at Barry underscore Switzer. Coach, did you – what was your, your thoughts on, on going after a guy that you knew was a giant talent – and it would also fill a need, but maybe had some off-the-field issues. There's a few guys that had some issues. <laughs> you know, and you're a guy that, that was able to, to be a father figure well, to a number of guys. You, I, yeah, I, I've always been able to handle guys like that. And yeah. I've, been a, I've, always, I've been close to my players. I've mm-hmm. been a, you know, I, I spent time with them. I did things that maybe other coaches didn't do. You know, and I... I go to their house. I go spend time with them. I go sit in the living room if they're married. You know, I talk for a while. You know, I did things like that. Even pro ball. I had one player who was a great pass rusher who didn't show up for practice one day named Charles Haley, great player, won five Super Bowls. And, and I said, where's Haley today? And they said, well, he didn't show up for practice, coach, and he's pouting about something. You know, he's bipolar, and hell, he probably hadn't taken his medicine. I said, well, is anybody called him? And, and, and I said, does anybody know where he lives? Well, hell, no, my coaches even knew where he lived. I said, uh, I told my secretary to find out. So I, next thing I know, I'm in my car. I'm over at his house. I ring his doorbell. He comes to the door, looks, opens the door, looks down at me, and he's stunned. And I said, well, are you going to invite me in, Charles? I, and he said, yeah, coach, come on in. So I walk in. I, I said, well, can I sit down? He said, yeah, sit down. So I sat down. And he sat down on the edge of his chair and looked across at me on the couch. And he just kind of just didn't silence. Said, I said, what the hell is wrong with you, Charles? You take your medicine today? And he said, yeah, coach. I said, well, he said, yeah. 
I said, well, what's wrong with you? And he says, well, you're the first coach I've ever seen in my home. You know, you're the first coach ever come see me. And I said, that's not why I'm here. I want to know why the hell you want to practice. You know, I don't need to know that. And he, he started laughing. He says, well, I, did. I said, isn't that stupid? Isn't that really stupid? We pay you millions of dollars to be at practice, to play your butt off in the ball games, and you, you're not at practice because that's a silly-ass reason. I said, now, damn it. You be there this afternoon for practice. I said, I'm, I don't want this anymore. Don't promise me you're not going to do that. And he said, Coach, I won't miss another practice. He not only be- never missed another practice, he became a great leader for me mm-hmm. on the, practice, on the uh, pro football field. He and I spent time together. We'd go ride a Harley together. It's important to treat each one of them differently, and you knew the difference makers, and you ought to have a great relationship with difference makers. That's the uh, the king there, half a hundred, Barry Switzer, recounting his trip to the Kentucky Derby in the pimp convention outfit he and Keith Jackson wore in the time he visited Charles Haley. More on his uh, sit-down with Charles Haley. More from Barry Switzer. Reminder, one out of three crashes, fatal crashes, involves an impaired driver, drunk driving buzzer high, never acceptable. Find a safe way home with a designated driver brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Some kind of kids in pro football. You give them one thing. I gave pro players something. Chris always gave them more, too much more credit. I, when I got to the pros, I thought, well, I'm going to be drilling more a more mature kid than I did in college. I'm not too sure that some of them other way around because they've been pampered. They're, yeah, the other way around because of uh, their elevated success mm. and who they were. They've been had their butt kissed all their life, and given every damn thing. You know what I mean? It, uh-huh. just, uh, it was distorted. So anyway. Uh, I I got along great with players and uh, and I enjoyed uh, the, the player relationship. I enjoyed college football because of that more. And obviously, uh, people when they're stunned when I say what was easier, they ask me what was easier. I said, hell, pro football is easier than college football. You only have fifty three of them in pro football, and you only you know they're all most of them married. They're all making half a million dollars a year. The lowest fifty third guy on your squad. And uh, they're going to do what you tell them to do because they're making more money. They'll make the rest of their lives. And, uh, you know, so, you know, you only see them from 7 o'clock in the morning to 6.30 in the afternoon. You don't deal with their personal problems, all their issues that they have, the eligibility, study hall, you know, dorm, you know, all that crap. I don't have them four or five years like you do in college, 365, 24-7. You know, pro football is different. You might not only have them a week before you put them on the label wire, you know. So it's it's a different game. Totally different. Personal touch. Always had it. Always will. Barry Switzer at Barry underscore Switzer. Coach, what's a what's a good wine? And tell me where to get a good wine this summer. <laughs> well, I don't think you can get it in Nebraska. My wine, Switzer Family Vineyards. You can go to the website and uh, we it's Oakville, Napa Valley. It's a great Cabernet Sauvignon. I've been uh, doing this. We old seven was my first year. Mm. Oh, 12 is going to be a great year for grapes in Napa Valley. So the next wine I come out with should be great. You can order it. I don't know what the laws are in Nebraska uh, by the ordering wine from Napa Valley. But uh, some states you can, some you can't. And they have some dumb, dumb, dumbass rules. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, we we started this a long time ago just for fun, my son-in-law and I. And uh, and it's grown quite a bit. And we have produced more cases every year. And, and uh we only sell it in Oklahoma, 
Arkansas, where I'm from, and uh, in the Texas and Dallas area. We hope to expand it to Houston and uh, San Antonio, but uh, uh, we just right now we just don't produce enough wine. We sell out of it and uh, it goes into the shelves and. Uh, so, uh, of grocery stores in Texas and liquor stores, and, and it's in all the top restaurants in Dallas and Oklahoma City and around this area. But it's not up there, but it's a good camp. And uh, someone in Nebraska tries it sometime. We're going to get a hold of one. Coach Barry Switzer with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, thank you so much for your time and your insight. Always love catching up, sir. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Take, Take care. care. Barry Switzer, the uh, chat with him. Barry's got that rhino, that wine of rocking, and I love that Kentucky Derby story. Best sport coat ever, man. It was some sort of pink. I can't explain, but I can't wear it like him. I'll tell you that. What do you got rocking this uh, Friday night, Elijah? Not much. I'm trying to recover. That that new workout plan's been kicking my tail a little okay. bit. Okay. So, like, how long does it take? What are you doing? Uh, it's about two hours in the morning. So, uh, we've been doing cardio with some basketball after our workouts and then we do a push day a pull day and a legs day if that makes sense so well done yeah we'll see you in the morning weekend edition back myself cranak elijah and uh we'll be ready to go seven tomorrow on hail varsity weekend edition uh presented by the nebraska lottery have a safe friday take care